It will begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer and discussion fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That uh, opening prayer is uh, a prayer by St. Josemaria Escriva. And he would begin every meditation of his with that prayer. When I first heard it, um, it was just something that we did uh, at school, something I heard very often. But one part of that prayer made me think um, a little bit more than the rest. And it was that, that title of Joseph. He says, St. Joseph, my father and Lord. Now that's lowercase l, not, not uppercase l. My father and Lord. And um, I used to think, well, well, there's only one Lord and his name is Jesus, right? Um, he's not the Lord. But he is a Lord. He's been given responsibility over something by God. So as I began to know Joseph, to study a little bit more, to pray with Joseph in the scriptures, um, if I, as I began to know him within the context of the life of the Holy Family, his particular vocation as the foster father of Jesus, the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as I began to know him in the life of the church and in the plan of salvation, it started to make sense, that title, my father and Lord. And to sum that up briefly, he's called Father and Lord because he is Father and Lord of the Holy Family. And if he's Father and Lord of the Holy Family, he's also Father and Lord of everyone who's a member of the family of God, meaning the Church, which is why he's the universal patron of the Catholic Church. He's been entrusted with the family of God, with the care of the family of God. And that's uh, quite a thing to be entrusted with. So I started to realize that that title is very appropriate. He is placed in charge, given the incredible responsibility over the most precious gift God has given his people. The second person of the Trinity, the splendor of the Father, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. The Father entrusts his Son, his only begotten Son, to this man. Who's a normal man, a righteous man, but an ordinary man. It's an unbelievable responsibility that God has entrusted Mary, the Immaculate Conception, the new Eve, to this man's care, and Jesus to him. So because God has given Joseph lordship over the household of the Holy Family, it's fitting that we give him lordship over the family of God. The family of God by adoption of the church. St. Josemaria writes, The whole church recognizes St. Joseph as a patron and guardian. For centuries, many different features of his life have caught the attention of believers. He was a man ever faithful to the mission God gave him. That is why, for many years now, I'd like to address him affectionately as our Father and Lord. For St. Joseph really is a Father and Lord. He protects those who revere him and accompanies them on their journey through this life. 
just as he protected and accompanied Jesus when he was growing up. Now, Joseph is a man of few words, but of decisive action. When someone is canonized in the church, the process by which they're canonized, the, the review process, actually usually takes years, many years, decades sometimes. And they go through all of the correspondence of that person, letters and writings, um, any, any sort of correspondence they wrote, homilies if they were a priest, to get a glimpse of the interior life of this person. And you would think that because Joseph didn't say or write anything, he didn't say anything in the gospel, and he didn't leave us any particular writings, or there's no letter of Joseph as part of the canon, you would think that we would be at a disadvantage in knowing Joseph's interior life, of knowing something about the prayer life and his relationship with Jesus. But in the case of Joseph, due to the gospel, we have something better. We have a glimpse directly into his interior life. In fact, into his conversation with God in a dream. How God speaks to him. And then we don't hear him speak, but we see him respond. I often think that in this day and age, it might be a little bit weird for uh, perhaps someone in this room, right, uh, when, when, when they're considering your canonization, they'll be going through, we don't really write letters, but they'll be going through your emails and your texts, um, all your LOLs, right? Um, it's, it's, it, is the, it is the, probably a, a really good sign of the fall of civilization, right? Like we're looking at like, oh, Augustine, and all the, you know, you wrote all these huge tomes, libraries full of stuff, and, and me, I'm like, yo, Father Jamie, what's up, man? You know, like that's what they'll be reviewing, right? Um, God willing. Um, by the grace of God. In Joseph, we have access to his interior life directly, in a really beautiful, direct way. The Gospels tell us, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Let's pause there for a moment. And this is something that's not known by, by everyone. But Joseph had a few options when hearing that Mary was expecting. And Joseph chooses the option that actually saves Mary from shame. To divorce her quietly, if he is to take the initiative and to, and to walk away, right? He's actually taking the, the fault upon himself, right? By not speaking of it and, and going away. People would wonder, what did Joseph do? Joseph, they would think Joseph has shirked his responsibility to his bride and to his child, right? They wouldn't, if, if he had done something else, if he had, if he had pointed out Mary as, you know, as uh, you know, said, oh, well, I'm, I'm divorcing her because she's obviously a sinner or something, right? That would expose her to shame. But Joseph knows better. He knows if you've got to know if you're dating the Immaculate Conception, right? Clearly this person is, is, is without sin, right? She's something else. In, you know, and, and you can say that and actually mean it. It's not an exaggeration. She is something else. 
this, this girl, she really, everything she does and everything she says and everything, and the way she acts, right, she is completely without, without fault. It's obvious. And he's, he's going, I'm the luckiest man in the world. So he decides to divorce her quietly and take the shame upon himself, something that if you're looking deeply into the Greek, right, that we'd be able to tell. But we don't often go that deep. He's made up his mind to do the righteous thing based on what he knows in the situation when our Lord informs him of something else. Our Lord gives his divine perspective. That's what our Lord always does in prayer. He sheds a divine light, gives a divine perspective on whatever we're going through. We're going to talk later about how Joseph is a master of the interior life. When we think of masters of the interior life, we think of of, uh, Dominic and Therese and Teresa and Francis and all of these all of these saints who left these writings behind but we don't really think of Joseph mostly because he didn't write anything but he's demonstrating that he's a master of the interior life that when he is informed in prayer and in this case in a dream of something more he responds he responds with freedom he responds knowing a little bit more about our Lord's will and he responds with a lot of love. So the angel says to him, Such was his intention. When behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. That's what our Lord says to us in prayer. That when faced with a difficult situation, when faced with a vocation that maybe we weren't expecting, when faced with whatever vocation he's given us, I would like you to go to this group of people and bring them to me. I want you to save souls in this way, or in this way. Here's this wonderful person. Marry them. Have a bunch of wonderful Catholic babies, right? And bring them to me, right? Whatever it is, he says... Do not be afraid. And he leaves it up to our volition, our freedom, to live out that vocation in the way we see best. The will of God is usually, who has God put in front of me? And that's what he's done with Joseph as well. He's giving Joseph a little bit more. There's another thing that our Lord does. When there's a particular vocation that he calls us to, when there's a particularly important moment, when our let it be done, our fiat is particularly important, he showers us with the grace, more information, more grace, a higher ability than we ever could summon on our own, more courage to do what we need to do. And then he gives us the space to do it. You've probably heard this from Father James. You've probably heard this from many other priests and religious. But when they were called it usually wasn't something like James, go be a priest, right? That's not what our Lord said, you know? And, and when I asked our Lord a couple years after college, Lord, what, what do you want from me, man? Right, I finally started praying, right? I said, Lord, what do you want from me? And he didn't say, Bobby, be a priest, right? It wasn't a, that, that kind of voice. But just short of a voice in the room and the, the most clear message I've heard from God up to that point and since was 
Bobby, give me your heart. And in my heart, I knew exactly what that meant. I was a bit coy with our Lord. I went, well, what does that mean, right? But I knew exactly what it meant. And in prayer in those following days and in consultation with this good spiritual director, with my parents, with good friends, right, it became increasingly obvious this is what I was meant for, what I was made for. This is the fulfillment of God's plan for me. So when our Lord calls us, he says, do not be afraid, and I will go with you. Do not be afraid, I'm with you. And he gives us the freedom to make our own decision. So, he says to Joseph, here is a vocation for you. Joseph, you will have some responsibilities. You will give him a name. You will have power, authority, because it's an important, an important vocation, which I'm asking of you. So our Lord, when he asks something great of us, he also gives us the gifts to complete that great vocation. We don't really hear too much about, you know, Joseph's interior struggle, right? Did he stay up for the rest of the night, think and ponder and pray, and then go and act? All we know is that in the morning he went and he acted and he did God's will. But this had to be confusing. I mean, even Our Lady was a bit confused. How can this be? How can this be? How can this be? He must have asked. He may have been confused and scared, as sometimes you and I are, when our Lord asks something great of us. When we are given some great responsibility in the church for the salvation of souls. Because helping to redeem souls, to do God's will, it's, it's a huge undertaking. So, perhaps when we're called, our first reaction is, well, Lord, you can't possibly, you know me, you can't possibly think that I'm right for this. This is too big. This is not for me. You've made a mistake, Lord, because I am incapable of doing such a thing. That's a very humble answer. And you know what? It, there's a lot of truth there. To be blunt, um, you don't have what it takes to, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm helping 25 couples right now prepare for marriage. It's amazing. I love it. And marriage is just, just this incredible vocation, right? So I'm like talking to them, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting way too excited about the sacrament of marriage. And they're blown away. They're like, I never knew it was so awesome. I said, here's this eternal soul. He's entrusted to you. She's entrusted to you. Like, who could possibly be worthy of that. That's amazing. It's out of this world that this person who has been thought of and loved for all eternity, here you go. Get them to heaven. It's amazing. I remember at my ordination, there's a dialogue that happens between the bishop and uh, the priest who's responsible for training the priests who are about to be ordained. And the bishop says, have you found them to be worthy? And I knew the line was coming, but I still chuckled. And I'm really glad there wasn't a microphone near me to pick up the chuckle, right, for, for everyone to hear and be recorded forever. Um, because, like, worthy? Worthy to hold my Lord in my hands? 
Worthy to forgive sins in God's name? Worthy to act in the person of Christ? Are you kidding? No, we, on our own, we don't have what it takes, but by the grace of God, we do do all of these things. By the grace of God, only by the grace of God can we do such great things. When you think about it, part of that vocation is Joseph's vocation. He held our Lord in his hands. He taught him to walk. He worked with him day in and day out. He taught him to speak. He read him the scriptures. So much of our Lord, the humanity of our Lord, is, is affected by Joseph. We'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later. Worthy of that? It's amazing. But by the help of God, by, with the grace of God, he can. So much of the spiritual life is simply dwelling in the truth of the matter. To dwell in the truth of the matter. So let's deal in the truth of the fact that we need our Lord's help, that we cannot do it by ourselves. And it gives us such peace to consider that God is choosing us to do something great and that he will indeed give us the grace to do it. There are two truths that Joseph readily acknowledged. One, I don't have what it takes alone. What God is asking me is beyond my capacity, beyond my ability. And two, God has entrusted this to me. And he, God is not a God of failure. He will give me what I need to sustain me. We need to remember those two lessons. I can only do things. I can, I need God. One. And two, God, who has entrusted these things to me, will give me the grace to persevere. So, Joseph has been called the master of the spiritual life. I think, let's, let's cover the obvious part of why he's a master of the spiritual life first. Because um, more than any other saint, um, maybe Mary, how <laughs> does him in this? But he really lived for however long from our Lord's birth until Joseph's death. He really lived the presence of God. He truly lived in the presence of God, with God right beside him. And Mary, who's always doing God's will, always ready to do God's will beside him, encouraging him. Would that we could all live with this, that same presence of God, that God is beside us, that God is with us. Let's get into the second part about why he's the master of the spiritual life. I would like to give an entire course on the spirituality of Joseph, the spiritual theology of Joseph. And I don't think it would be a stretch, even though he didn't write anything, I don't think it would be a stretch to talk about the spirituality of Joseph. This inherently masculine spirituality. Maybe like Joseph, maybe you and I would um, react like Joseph in the beginning, not knowing what to do. And yet our Lord will provide us what we need. I, 
think Master uh, Joseph is the master of the interior life because, uh, mostly because of that continual contact with our Lord and his continual willingness to do God's will without constant consolations. Here's what I mean. We don't hear much, perhaps he had lots of consolations, but we don't hear much about them. Our Lord speaks to him twice, right, giving him pretty direct instruction about things. But then our Lord leaves to Joseph's faith, to his prudence, to his reason, pretty much everything after that. All right. You said yes. And then he says yes each and every day to this wonderful vocation of being the foster father of Christ and the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the protector of her virginity, and the protector of the secret of our Lord's conception as well. So here's a man who's abundantly prudent, who's very reasonable, who's very faithful, and each and every day, living in the presence of God, completes his very, what looks to the entire world like a very normal vocation in the midst of the world. A carpenter. That's a beautiful spirituality. And that's the spirituality most of us are called to because we will be in the midst of the world working. And many of us will have very, quote unquote, normal vocations. Expected vocations, married life, or single life. We won't stand out very much, except according to our charity. Joseph said yes. Over and over he says yes. This is what St. Jose Maria wrote about Joseph in his, in his book, Christ is Passing By. He's a wonderful dedication a meditation dedicated to St. Joseph. He says, The Gospel gives us a picture of St. Joseph as a remarkably sound man who was in no way frightened or shy of life. On the contrary, he faced up to problems, dealt with difficult situations, and showed responsibility and initiative in whatever he was asked to do. That is what makes St. Joseph a model for you and me. That given all the talents that he had, he put them into action. Not being frightened or shy, but engaged, embracing reality. So, we see him through all these trials and tribulations, and anything confusing, he just keeps going, keeps doing the Lord's will. They flee to Egypt. They come back. Oh, well, there's, uh, I can't, uh, that, that king may kill my son again. I'm going to go over here, right? I'm going to go to Nazareth. I'm not going to go back where I was before. All we know of Joseph is that he's doing what he ought to do to fulfill his vocation well. And our Lord leaves it up to him, where he ought to go, how he ought to do it. Our Lord gives him great freedom. Why? Because without freedom, there's not love. Our Lord entrusts. And I really mean, it's not like he's, you know, know, sending Joseph a, a telegram every morning being like, this is what you need to do today to raise my son, right? He entrusts him with his incredible vocation. He entrusts to his prudence, to his faithfulness, to his knowledge of God and Scripture. He lets them take care of his son. And he keeps saying, let it be done, like Mary. 
fiat. We say it every day when we pray the Angelus. Let it be done to me according to thy will. And Joseph declared his own fiat many times, over and over and over. A few more points uh, about him before we end. Um, Jesus must have resembled Joseph in many ways. Have you ever noticed that um, there are some children, adopted children, who look and act so much like their um, adoptive parents that you, would, you wouldn't know they were adopted, right? You know, I, I knew a guy for 10 years, and I, only, I found out he was adopted, like, in the 10th year, right? <laughs> I was like, what? But you move like your dad and talk like your dad. You have the same mannerisms. You tell the same stories. Well, because love leaves an imprint on us. And he had been adopted when he was very little. Well, the foster father of Jesus, Joseph, had a great impression on his humanity. He had some. St. Josemaria writes once again, Jesus must have resembled Joseph. It's so funny, um, and, and yet mysterious and shocking, right? That in his way of working, in his character, in his way of speaking, in Jesus' eye for detail, in the way that he sat down at the table, the way he set the table, the way he talked to people, the anecdotes he used, right? These are coming from somewhere. And where do we learn most of these things? We learn them from those who form us. And Joseph is tasked with, ta- tasked with forming the Word of God in, in his humanity. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to make this jump. Now, this is extra-biblical, but, right, our Lord is making a parable about the seed that is sown. And there's seed sown in a field, and some of it is on the rocky ground beside the field, and some of it's on the path, and some of it's on the nice, rich soil, Right? And little seven-year-old Jesus is watching the birds pick up the seed from the hard soil, right? Noticing that, oh, the seed that's in the thorns, that doesn't really grow very much, right? And Joseph is explaining this to him. Right? Or within the household of, of, of Nazareth. Mary's lost a coin, right? And she can't find it. So while Jesus and Joseph are, you know, at the workshop all day, she sweeps the entire house and she finds her coin. And when they come home, she's so elated. I found the coin. I really found the coin. Right? And then our Lord uses that parable as well. Many of these, of the, of the human traits of our Lord, they came from somewhere. They came from Joseph and from Mary. So Jesus must have resembled Joseph in his humanity. And in the way that he loved people. He must have resembled Joseph as well in his... We, we, we learn virtue from, from the people who form us once again. His willingness to love and to follow the will of God. Get to know Joseph, and you'll find that you're getting to know Jesus. And if you want to know something about Joseph, read the Gospels, right? Because our Lord, in so many ways, is reflecting the man who formed him.
And finally, we are, we also, we call Joseph the, the patron of workers, the universal patron of the, of the, uh, of the church, the patron of fathers, and he's also the patron of a happy death. The patron of a happy death. Because not only did he live each day with Jesus and Mary, he lived in the presence of God. He lived with, you know, Our Lady, giving, you know, encouraging him and helping him to love God, to do God's will every day. But he died in the arms of Jesus and Mary. This is a man who was very much accustomed to love of Jesus and Mary. Could there be a happier death than to die loved, having fulfilled your vocation by Jesus and Mary? So that transition from this side of heaven to heaven must have been actually pretty simple for him. Of all of the saints, it was probably the least jarring, right? Because he'd been in the presence of God for so long. And then when he enters the presence of God, he goes, this is right. This is where I belong. On that note, when we think about judgment, this is a bit of a side note, but I think important. I think perhaps we can think about how um, C.S. Lewis speaks to us about the final judgment in albeit a, uh, not, not a theological, not a book of theology, but a, a book of analogy, the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. At the end of the last battle, all of this world is, is, is made new. And every creature, every sentient creature that's ever lived, right, is rushing forward to this doorway. And in the doorway stands Aslan, analogous to our Lord. And they each, with not a word is said, but they each encounter our Lord. Right? And he looks at them with love beyond all telling. And they look back at him, having been beheld by God. And their reaction to that love decides whether, whether they go off to the left, away from him. I can't stand your love, right? don't want to, I, I can't, I can't put up with it, right? Or with him to the right. And Joseph, who had looked into the eyes of the only begotten Son of God every day, loved him tenderly, was loved tenderly by him, the encounter with God in heaven, what a great transition, right? What a simple one. I'm so accustomed to this. This is, this is where I belong. If only we had that same love. I mean, that's why we come to adoration. That's why we go so often to Mass. That's why we are always being reconciled to God in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, right? Because we want this intense love with our Lord on this side of heaven. So that we're ready for love beyond all telling on the other side of heaven. Tradition tells us that as he was dying in his bed, Mary and Jesus were around him. So his passing from this world to heaven was simply perfect. 
So like Joseph, let us put at the very center of our lives God's will and Jesus and Mary so that the love we live here on earth will be a sneak preview of the eternal love of heaven. I'll end with this quote of St. Maria, and then we'll end with a prayer. Love St. Joseph a lot. Love him with all your soul, because he, together with Jesus, is the person who has most loved our Blessed Lady and been closest to God. He is the person who has most loved God after our Mother. So he deserves your affection, and it will do you good to get to know him, because he is the master of the interior life and has great power before the Lord and before the Mother of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this talk. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.